Hello and welcome to The Bunker, your need to know on news and politics seven days a week. I'm Ros Taylor. Without me quite realising it, Amazon has become part of my daily life. I didn't really want it to, but here I am reading almost every new book on my Kindle, ordering cheap vitamins, reluctantly asking Alexa questions while my hands are covered in flour. You probably wouldn't be surprised to hear that Amazon is the UK's biggest online retailer. But it's not just number one, it's bigger than Sainsbury's and Tesco combined. It sells 69% of all books in Britain, and it has an extraordinary 90% share of the ebook market. And that is just the UK. Amazon controls 38% of all online retail in the US. A million and a half Americans work for it. And by revenue, it's the fourth biggest company in the world. Should we let a company get this big? Do we want to stop it getting any bigger? And if we do, what could we do about it? Renaud Foucault is an economist and senior lecturer at Lancaster University who thinks about just these questions. Welcome to the bunker, Renaud. Hello, nice to meet you. First things first, why was Amazon able to get so big so fast? Well, so fast is actually uh, pretty much of a, an overstatement. So you may remember that in 2001, when the internet bubble crashed, the Amazon's value completely plummeted. It was, you would find a lot of people who would tell you that Amazon had absolutely no business model. And the main reason for that is that Amazon can only be successful, can only be profitable if it is extremely big. So this is perhaps the very definition of, of scale economies. The only way you can be successful if, if you do that kind of business is that people know that you will provide them whatever they want. You need to be this one-stop shop then you can have those massive delivery warehouses. You can have all this logistic infrastructure that brings um, that brings the product to people. This costs a lot of money, but the cost decreases a lot when you increase the scale. So meaning that when you serve a lot, a lot, a lot of customers, suddenly you become profitable. So the way Amazon managed to become so big is precisely by becoming very big, by starting to lose a lot of money. And then suddenly, over time, reaching that level, that threshold number of deliveries such that it becomes uh, a profitable business given the crazy cost uh, that they have to, uh, to fork at the beginning. Big companies do get big for a reason. And a lot of people love the speed and convenience of Amazon. A lot of jobs now depend on it too. Some might say, why undermine a winning formula? Why try to hobble Amazon? I mean, this is the most important question, and this is the key question that is behind all the debates among regulators, that we know definitely what is the good side of Amazon. We know that the fact that all the costs I was talking about have been are somehow shared among so many millions of people, it means that we get for very cheap something that is extremely valuable by a lot of people. That's the part we know for sure. What we don't know for sure is what is the counterfactual. So we have some hints. We know, for instance, that Amazon is squeezing a lot of the margin of small businesses. So the way Amazon does that is by making sure that everyone depends on Amazon. And this is the case now because you said Amazon is such a big business. If you're a small business and you want to sell, you really want to be able to sell on Amazon. But this means that Amazon takes roughly 50% of the sale if you are using all their services. So Perhaps the alternative world would be a world in which small businesses could sell their products for much cheaper. Similarly, we only see that big company Amazon and we see how oh, they have those 
great innovation, they bring all this, but they are the only one in position to do that. You cannot decide to open a small business and compete with Amazon. You would have to start from scratch and you would, you would need billions and billions to do that. So some people object to the fact that online retail per se inevitably has an effect on uh, bricks and mortar stores in the in the real world. But it goes beyond that, as you were saying, in, in terms of what, what Amazon does with the marketplace. And you were, t- you were saying that it takes 50% a commission on products that are sold there, which I hadn't realized. Well, this is from the from the lawsuit by the, the FTC in, in the US. So those are numbers that they claim in the lawsuit. They say if you take together the fact that businesses need to pay to advertise on Amazon, so to be visible on the website, they need to pay Amazon fulfillment service. So if you want to be visible in the so-called buy box where people can click buy now on Amazon, you are forced to use the Amazon fulfillment, so their logistics. Also, if you want to be available for prime delivery, you need to use that service. And on top of that, Amazon takes some fees for just being the intermediary. So if you sum those up, in the lawsuit by the FTC, they say for every dollar, there is one dollar for Amazon. So this is 50-50. So this is the call of the US regulator. I don't have access to the data. They do, but maybe they will lose their lawsuit. In your point about bricks and mortars, I think it's actually very important that it's not even that obvious that Amazon has been so bad. So there have been studies about um, bookstores. The kind of bookstores that lost to Amazon were the ones that were basically competing on price and trying to sell cheap books. But also Amazon has had an effect of helping develop a thriving sector of very cool bookstores where you will sit down and have a cup of coffee and meet other people. So it's not even objective, absolute certainty that Amazon has been killing bookstores. Many Amazon is the thing that saved the traditional bookstore by helping those small bookstores that are doing something different, being able to compete in that brick and mortar with the bigger one, because the bigger one were crushed by Amazon and the small one that offers something different were able to survive. In the same way, I suppose you could say that Airbnb has forced hotels to up their game and B&Bs to up their game as well. Exactly. Somehow, that's, that's at the core of the case. It's If competition is good for customers, and this is something we may discuss, but if competition is good for customers and that's what most regulators would believe, then what you want to do is to make sure that there is fair competition. And so most of the cases against Amazon by regulators, of course there are other complaints about Amazon, but by economic regulators, both in the US and the European commissions, are exactly about competition, saying Amazon is bad because it's not competing fairly In simple words, if I am a small business, I have no chance. I have to use Amazon. I cannot be a competitor to Amazon because Amazon has this policy that if a business offers for cheaper in a competitor, then they disappear from the website of Amazon. So that's again from the FTC lawsuit. They claim that you are hidden in the algorithm. So they have those massive um, uh, algorithms that are checking all over the web to see whether the product is sold for cheaper elsewhere. If they find it, It's like, you know, very 1984, you completely disappear from the algorithm and you cannot sell on Amazon. And so your business is destroyed. Does Amazon Prime play a role in this too? Yes. So Amazon Prime has been designed as a way to make it absolutely certain that once you subscribe for that, you don't look anywhere else. Imagine you have Prime, you have this guarantee of free delivery within one or two days. And you know that Amazon is so big that they have everything you could dream of. Why are you going to check for a smaller website? Sure, maybe some people will do it for ethical reasons or 
just they don't like the idea of Amazon, but in most of the cases, most people, what they care about is getting their stuff, good quality, delivered. Amazon also, because they sell so much, they have all this history of reviews, trusted reviews by people who bought the thing. So the moment you have Amazon Prime, you know that you are going to only use Amazon. But then the business, they want to sell on Amazon Prime because they know that if you are a Prime subscriber, you don't want to pay for delivery. Because hey, somehow you already paid for it. So you only want to buy products that are available for Prime. And those products are the ones that use the logistic of Amazon, meaning that there is no way to compete against that logistic. So that's really the core of the argument of the US regulators to say they make competition impossible. And somehow it looks like a competitive market, but the only thing you can do is to use Amazon. Some governments have tried to rein in Amazon already. France, for example, has set a minimum book delivery fee, and that's an effort to protect real-world uh, bookshops. Has that worked? On books, it's starting now. So this is uh, implemented this month in France. So the first thing that seems to be somehow good news for the French regulator is that uh, Amazon is implementing it. So they were fierce that Amazon would try to find a way to circumvent it or to, to bypass it. It seems that they are playing the game fairly. Another possible less generous interpretation is that physical books is actually a relatively small part of the business of Amazon right now. So the delivery fee applies three euro if you buy less than 35 euro worth of book. So you need to, to buy a lot of books. And so this means that yes, it becomes much better for you in terms of money to work through your local bookstore. This may work, but then you need to have a good, a good reason to do that as the regulator. So in the case of France, it is because they want to preserve some traditional brick and mortar shops and because they think that there is some intrinsic value of having old-fashioned bookshops in your city, which is a totally valuable argument. It's more complicated to do for other items. It works for books. doesn't work for Airfryer, I think. In the US, the as you said, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, is suing Amazon. And we've heard some of the arguments from you that they're making. But what would losing the case mean for Amazon? How would the way that they operate have to change? It is very complicated to know precisely because the, um, the FTC is listing a number of practices that they think are breaking competition. And so it would be for Amazon to propose remedies to propose solutions that would allow some form of better competition. So we have some precedent about that. So it's the case of Booking.com in the European Union. So Booking.com is the that platform to uh, to book hotel room wherever you want in Europe. It's very important in some country. In Germany, I think it's a massive majority of, of the business. And they were the first one to be challenged on this policy of forcing every hotel to sell at the cheapest price on Booking.com or they were excluded. And so when hotels were allowed to sell for cheaper elsewhere, it had an impact. And one of the impact it had is to have actually cheaper products. So in the case of Amazon, what you would hope, for instance, is that if there is the possibility to sell for cheaper elsewhere, maybe Amazon will try to cut a little bit on the margin. So from taking 50% of the money, they might take 30% of the money. So in terms of consumer, it would not change your experience in the sense that you would still buy from Amazon, but hopefully you would buy for cheaper. 
And that's really the core of the argument. And that's, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about other cases of the, the FTC, but this is a very traditional, old school regulatory argument is to say, Amazon makes price too high. And so we are going to regulate and to make sure that the price decrease. That's a, as basic as it gets in terms of benefit for consumers. An Amazon senior executive has said that, that if the FTC gets its way, the result would be fewer products to choose from, higher prices, slower deliveries for consumers, and reduced options for small businesses. Is he right about that, do you think? Well, if the consequence were, for instance, that Amazon has to break up the logistics service. One of the things that the FTC is saying is that it's too harsh to force people to use Amazon logistics. There is a point if you are Amazon and if you are a customer to think that this is sort of a guarantee. So when Amazon puts the stamp prime on the product, they say, we are the one delivering it and we promise it's within one or two days. If you force Amazon to put that stamp prime on competitors, you could imagine that some dodgy delivery service are of lower quality and sort of manage to, to find their way and, and get the approval. How do you regulate that precisely? Um, another thing that could happen, and that's, that used to be a big discussion in the US, I think they are talking a bit less about that now, is simply breaking up those companies. So saying Amazon logistics should be so, something completely separated from the rest. And so Amazon would have to treat all the, I mean, the delivery, the logistics would have to treat all the businesses the same and all the websites the same. That's, again, when you talk about the scale economies, it could have some benefit in terms of cutting the margins that they may be able to, to take from businesses, but it could have cost in the sense that you would lose some of those scale economies. And there is an argument. I mean, this is always about the counterfactual. You know the world of Amazon right now, but you don't know what would be the consequence of breaking them up or forcing them to allow other people on Prime. So the regulation is about which creative solutions Amazon themselves will suggest that will allow them to comply with the law if they are found to be acting illegally. It isn't just Amazon, of course, which is a huge player on the web. Google has a virtual monopoly on search, and it dominates email and documents as well. In fact, the US Department of Justice has begun a lawsuit against Google. What is its case against it, and what what are its chances of uh, success in your view? The main case is abuse of dominant positions, which is very similar to Amazon in many ways, is that Google makes money, just like Facebook, as an advertisement agency. That's the way they earn money. So Everyone is bidding for ads on Google, on Google search, but also Google is managing advertising services on many other websites. The problem is that Google has acquired a lot of those services and they've, in many parts of the web, sort of de facto monopoly. And they're accused of two things. One thing is the part that is roughly similar to Amazon is that they are taking too big margins and are abusing this monopoly all those advertisement business are done through auctions. So if you are a business and you want to advertise through Google, you bid and you say, for this keyword, I'm willing to pay up to $1 per click, for instance. And one of the accusations is that actually Google is not truthful. They're actually playing around with their algorithm and they're just taking money from people by just not respecting their own rules of auction. On this specific dimension is 
something completely crazy and something that would have, I think, very big consequences for Google. We do have experience of the US government suing a major, a big corporation. Let's talk about Microsoft, because Microsoft products used to really dominate Office software, and also its browser, Internet Explorer, used to be something that most people most people used. But there was a landmark case when the US sued Microsoft more than 20 years ago. What happened there, and what could that perhaps tell us about what consequences these new legal actions might have, and whether they may be effective? So, so at this time, they were at the same time moving the, the European Commission and, uh, and the US antitrust. And they were both um, trying to understand how to deal, it was the first time that it happened, with the complementarity of product and this idea of self-preferencing, so guiding um, customers who use your main product to force them to use the other. So in the case of Internet Explorer Netscape, uh, they used to be, you had to pay at the time to use a web browser. And then, because they wanted to kill the big player that was Netscape, uh, Microsoft said, I'm going to give Internet Explorer for free, and people will be uh, pushed to use that because when we install Windows, they will have Internet Explorer. The other case was about Windows Media Player, and it was a very similar story, is that when you would install Windows, you would get access to Windows Media Player. The general uh, fallout from that, the first part is that it took very, very long time to reach conclusions. What happened is that there was this idea that you need to offer the choice to consumers. So at some point, uh, Microsoft started to offer the choice when you install between different web browsers, between different uh, media players, etc. But the, the truth also is that by the time we reached the conclusion to that, Microsoft was not the big dominant player anymore. Uh, Internet Explorer was definitely not the major source of web browsing. Windows Media Player is big, but it's not the, the, the biggest one. So somehow, one of the, the, the fallout of that is that, oh, maybe, actually, this abuse of dominant position, were they really that dominant? Innovation came because people came back to uh, Mac products. Also, there was the, the beginning of the smartphones, and people evolved in many ways. But this big principle of when a firm is very, very, very big and people have to go through it, we need to make sure that they obey some rules. In the end, it's the European Commission that ended up regulating that for the world. And it's what's called the, the Digital Market Act. And there are those rules that once you are a gatekeeper, so there are very few companies that are a gatekeeper, but too big, everyone goes through you, so such as Google Search, you have to obey rules and including treating. In the US, there was a long period in which there was almost no regulation. They were not interested anymore in regulating and somehow they de delegated that to the uh, to the Europeans. And then recently, the, the Federal Trade Commission um, had this mandate to become much more aggressive and they tried new things, including things that were definitely not in the scope of the European regulation. So you may have heard of the, the case of Microsoft and Blizzard. So... Um, the Federal Trade Commission wanted to ban Microsoft to buy a video game producer Blizzard because they were concerned that the Xbox would then be tied to some popular video game uh, produced by Blizzard. And this would distort competition among uh, different uh, video uh, consoles. Well, this, the FTC didn't win because uh, there is no obvious case of a very dominant 
platform, Xbox is definitely not the major platform of video game. And so uh, they were still trying to find their ways. And somehow I think now with that case of Amazon, they are a bit converging with what the Europeans do, and which is good for democracy because it's a bit strange when the Europeans are somehow deciding for the world while being a market of 300 million people. It's a very difficult environment to be doing this in, isn't it? Because in my work looking at trust, what I found was that people increasingly distrust governments and what trust they have now is often invested in corporations, in companies, because you know, for all kinds of reasons, but fundamentally because the company is seen as providing a clear service which they deliver on, and if they don't, there are consequences. And in that environment, it's very hard to go after something like Amazon and Google, isn't it? Oh, it is extremely important what you're saying, because it's at the core of all those debates about uh, the data. People are very scared of sharing their data with the government. At the same time, we talked about the case of Google being accused of completely ripping off the biggest market in the world for advertisement, and it's barely a footnote in some newspaper. Nobody really cares about that. It seems to be something that is, yeah, it's happening to some companies. It's, it doesn't really involve us. So all the branding, all the marketing of those firms make them likable, and also people see what they are delivering. When you tell to people that, Governments try to regulate Google because they give you stuff for free on Android phones. Like the European Commission has fined Google for more than 4 billion because they were pre-installing those things for free. Try to explain to normal people in the street, oh, giving stuff for free on your phone is a bad idea. It's complicated. You need to spend a lot of time trying to think about the counterfactual, what are the competition effects, etc. And once you start using a blackboard and equations, you lose the argument. So how can you explain that in simple words? If you read in details the case, it's, it's, it's written in big in the FTC suit. We are not saying that Amazon is too big. No one is complaining that the company is successful. We are just complaining that they do not treat you well. This is so difficult to explain. You may do, be able to do that in a 25-minute podcast. I think in, in a one-page headline on a popular newspaper, it's very, very hard. Is Amazon unstoppable? You know, in 20 years' time, will I still be reluctantly talking to Alexa? Will I still be reading books on my Kindle? If the Microsoft case is to believe as, a, as history, maybe not. Maybe there will just be some very, very major innovation. And you know, that's the big driver of people who believe that there is competition, is to say, you only see one company but you don't see the potential competitor. Everyone thought that Microsoft was there to lead forever until they were not. Amazon, at the moment, they are spending a lot of money trying, for instance, to launch those drone deliveries. It's very expensive, doesn't work a lot. They've been trying a few times and they don't know how to do it. Maybe somebody will find a better solution. Uh, you've seen that with Facebook. There was a lot of talk about Facebook meta being way, way, way too big and they have this monopoly on the social network market. We need to do something about it. And it's true, there was a big problem with the market power of meta. But now, you know, there is TikTok and meta, they spent billions and billions in the metaverse and it seems that the metaverse is just a complete waste of money. That's absolutely not the future. So maybe meta, nobody will remember that in 20 years. So those things, we know what is market power now, but... If history is a guide, no, most likely, I think something better will come in 20 years. Renov, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And you can support The Bunker by searching Patreon Bunker Podcast and contributing just £3 a month. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. The Bunker is presented by Ros Taylor. 
The producer was Liam Tate. Audio production was from me, Robin Lieber. Our music's by Kenny Dickinson. And assistant production by Adam Wright. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. Group editor, Andrew Harrison. And The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>